the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to The Advocate with your host, Nick Phillips. And now, here's your host, Nick Phillips. Good evening, Cleveland. Welcome to The Advocate. This is your host, Nick Phillips. And uh, tonight, uh, in the first two segments, we're going to be talking to Nan Baker about the Cuyahoga County uh, Council and what's going on with our county government. Nan, as always, thank you for coming on and uh, telling us what's going on in the county. It's always a pleasure to be here with you, Nick, and look forward to catching up on where we left off last time we talked. Well, I tell you, these months, when we do this once a month, they fly by, so I can't believe it's August already. But my goodness, we're we're there. I would like the month of August to slow down and take about two or three months' time to get through August so we can (laughs) all enjoy summer. Anyway, uh, but back with the county and some of the things we've been talking about, um, there's a number of topics that we've been talking about. Let's sort of jump into them. Uh, One, I think we were going to be talking about the convention center and how that's sort of up in the air and the county is going to do something with it. What's the latest on that? Yes, it has been an evolving conversation. And um, David Gilbert from Destination Cleveland has been the forefront in bringing us up to date on what uh, he has done with, with others that are involved in the convention center in wanting to bring it back to life. The, uh, if you remember uh, the Medical Mart and the Global Health Center were two ideas that just did not um, become successful. And so we are left with a space there that's a connector to the convention center that we need to find a purpose for. And so David well, Gilbert question, is going to be for us. Yes. Question, was there ever a, a sort of a, a back analysis as to what happened to the medical mart? Because when I remember it was proposed, it sounded like a great idea. You know, we have all the, you know, the Cleveland Clinic and University Hospitals, and we had the Euclid Corridor with high-tech uh, businesses coming in to make uh, medical equipment. Uh, That was also optimistic. What what happened? Yeah, you know, I wasn't there when that was first proposed, but um, those questions have certainly been asked of David Gilbert and others that were there at the time when this was all evolving. And they just say an idea that um, just did not take, that with the um, internet and, and purchases online and the idea of viewing equipment in one place just did not take off, that it just was not an idea that um, that caught on. And the hospitals at one time thought it would, but it was just one of those ideas that they said there were other ways to purchase equipment without having to travel to one place, looking at them in, in one building where they could perhaps go online and take a look at a variety of different things without having to travel. So it was just not, uh, just did not take hold. Well, I I can see where COVID probably played a part in that with regard to two years of no traveling and two years of learning how to do Zoom meetings and becoming attached to our laptop computers. Yes, that is is very true. And even, 
the convention center now, of course, has also been hit pretty hard, but they are coming back. According to David Gilbert, they are booking and it's, it's coming back. And he just, he feels that if we were to enhance what we already have, we can be competitive with other convention centers that are nearby, like Columbus, um, that has invested quite a bit in their convention center to, uh, to keep it current and relevant for their city. And he's asking the same of us to consider their plans. Well, it seems as we're watching the economy generally with inflation, with gas prices, with travel and everything right. else, this is all intertwined and, and all part of the same story. But, uh, well, another topic that we were talking about in the past and is an ongoing story with the county is the Justice Center and the jail. What's happening there? Well, that too, uh, you can tell there's a lot on our plate right now. That too has been evolving. And um, the preferred site right now is the 2700 Transport Road in Cleveland. But it doesn't come without concerns. Uh, mostly the um, property that it sits on does need some um, hazardous waste removal and environmental um, soil checkings. And the latest we heard is that it could have methane gas that needs to also be discussed and how it is that we can manage that if we can manage it. So that is coming next time we meet, which will be in September. That will be coming from someone, a consultant that is supposed to understand all the environmental impacts and whether or not this property can, in fact, be built and built as a residential area because this is a place where inmates will be living. Will it be safe for them? And that is all right now in question. Is the transportation road location a done deal, or is it still subject to finding out whether it's going to cost us millions of dollars to uh, rehabilitate because of environmental issues? It is all pending. Uh, county Council oh, is good. not going to move forward unless we get, um, you know, solid evidence to show that this, in fact, is a site that is doable. And that is right now in question. Um, I don't think any of us feel you know, one way or the other. We're really waiting to see whether or not this site is um, able to be remediated. And if so, what is the cost? And what is the long-term cost, especially if there's methane, because that is something that will have to be capped and filtered and exhausted out. So it's, it's, um, yeah, it's still a big question mark and more to come when we come back in September. What's the status of the current jail situation? I know we had problems with overcrowding. We had, uh, for a while, a number of deaths that were occurring in the jail. Uh, has this been right. in any way handled? Oh, yes. The um, jail itself is um, very tightly controlled. So there is, uh, we feel much better about the administration of the jail. There was a time when we didn't have good control of it, but it is under good management now. It is at capacity, um, so it is not something that we, you know, are not concerned about. It is at capacity. And the diversion center, which we've talked about before at the Oriana House um, mm -hmm. on 1829 East 55th Street, that is taking some of those inmates that would be diverted to jail are now being diverted to the diversion center in order to receive treatment for the low-level crime that uh, they have, may have been arrested for. So that has helped, but it's still, mm -hmm. uh, it's still an issue. 
What's the diversion facility? How many people are we talking about? How many prisoners or inmates are what we're calling them today? Well, the those that are sent to the diversion center, which is really at the discretion of police officers at the time of arrest, or family members can also apply to have their family members be uh, a member of the uh, diversion center. There's about 50 beds. Right now it's underutilized, so there is room for those that are, are looking to for seeking treatment. And you don't have to commit a crime to be admitted, which is how it first started out, but there weren't enough going there, and it was opened up for more than just those that uh, are at the point of being arrested. How long has the Diversion Center been in operation? Not long, about a year. <clears throat> Not long. Hasn't, uh, hasn't been open too long. Um, and it may be one of those facilities that we may expand upon, but it's really in question as to the use of it. Right now, it's not being used as much as we thought it would. Uh, would a new jail make a difference? I know with the newer jails, they're going to have um, lots of additional medical and relief for those that also um, are in need of therapy and, and um, you know, drug rehabilitation. So we'll, we'll have to see. I think right now the Oriental House is serving a purpose of diverting those that are in need. We'll see whether or not it's going to be needed after the new jail or perhaps be part of the new jail on the same campus. Lots of uh, conversation about that, too. My question about the uh, diversion is that you said that family members can uh, call for help and have family members put into the diversion center. Over this past yes. year, has that, been has that been abused in any way? Uh, no, it hasn't. Uh, in fact, we encourage those that have family members uh, because you can't walk in at this time. So we're asking that any potential clients call through the front line, and they can call the number 216-623-6888, and uh, transportation um, is not provided, but if they bring that family member to the diversion center after making uh, an appointment, they will be accepted. So it's... Um, that's the way that that works right now but it has not been abused we are looking to help those that call in or from the uh, police officers that divert those um, potential inmates to the diversion center to try and get them the help they need well it's a real interesting uh, concept and i'm fascinated about uh, individuals rights when they get into the diversion center and how that works we're going to take a short break. We're talking to Nan Baker from the Cuyahoga County Council about what's going on at the county level here in Cuyahoga County. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back after these words, so don't go away. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another segment of The Advocate. Tonight we're talking to Nan Baker from the Kaga County Council about uh, what's going on here in August 2022 with the Cuyahoga County government. Nan, as always, thank you so much for being with us. Absolutely. It's always good to catch up on what we're doing there in Cuyahoga County. Yeah, this is the way we find out. Uh, we were talking at the Diversion Center, and I, I wasn't clear uh, about how this works, because it sounds like a police officer can decide 
uh, if someone's going to the diversion center or going to the jail, um, or even a family member can make the request to put someone in the diversion center, from a, right. a civil rights standpoint, for the person going to the diversion center, what, what rights do they have? Do they have any say in whether they go or not, or how does that work? Yes, if uh, at the point of the question of the police officer asking the potential inmate who could go to jail and ask if, would you rather go to the diversion center and go through a series of treatment, they have the choice of going either to jail or to the diversion center. Once they go to the diversion center, then it is up to them to stay. So we have found that most do stay, that once they're there, they take the treatment and and move on and try to to uh, take care of their their addiction if that's what it is or mental illness. It gives us a chance to evaluate them to see whether or not they need certain care in that place. But it is ultimately up to the person who is entering the diversion center as to whether or not they stay and how long they stay. All right. So this is definitely not an involuntary mandatory incarceration situation. It's more of a voluntary right. thing. Right. Well, that's good to know. Right. So it's clear. So people can feel if they're offered this opportunity, they can take it. And it's not a one-way ticket into a place where they'll be behind locked doors forever. That's right. That's right. Well, well that's good. Well, you know, we'll, helping, right. Well, we'll continue to find out how that's to, working um, Right, is really trying to help those that have mental illness, which we all know is part of perhaps the reason why they have committed the crime, or is because mm-hmm. they uh, are are uh, drug abused, and also uh, is a reason why it is. So we're trying to help those that are low fruit, you know, the low hanging fruit of um, needing help, and can catch them at a time where before they do get into a, a higher level of criminal activity. Well, very good. Well, we'll constantly be interested in how that's working out because it's a, it sounds like it's a good stopgap uh, opportunity to do something other than go through the formal jail and criminal system. Another topic we've been talking about over the months has been the um, American Rescue Plan money coming into the county. What's the status of that? How much do we have and how much do we have to use before it's gone? Well, the uh, government, through its treasury, gave us uh, in Cuyahoga County $240 million to be pushed back into programs and and communities to help them through the time where we all suffered in the the COVID-19 days. And I have to say, we have been very, very involved in pushing that money out. It should be spent by the end of next year. So there is a timeline here of us trying to make sure that we meet that timeline. And there are also restrictions as to how it is that money should be spent. So as we talked before, we have put money, you know, into the Cleveland Food Bank, about $40 million, um, is their facility of trying to rebuild, and we've contributed about $5 million to that. So that's a pretty considerable contribution that we wouldn't have been able to do without it. Uh, homeless shelters are being taken care of. The arts and culture, which has really suffered the organizations across the entire county, also receive dollars. Um, businesses that, you know, suffered and still continue to, to struggle, there's uh, dollars there for them 
We're talking about uh, the ARP money and the programs that uh, the county is planning on using that money, the $240 million by the end of next year. Yes. And um, as I, I'm not sure you received, but the uh, $5 million to cover the um, Greater Cleveland Food Bank and building a new $40 million storage and distribution facility, a big undertaking for them that is, we found, highly needed. And, for example, another $20 million that is going to the county's homeless shelters and $3 million that is going to the arts and cultures organizations across the, the entire county from larger to smaller, back in, in your backyard, uh, arts and culture that have suffered quite a bit. Um, also businesses and trying to stabilize some of the um, ongoing uh, problems that they've had in uh, trying to st- keep their doors open. It's been, especially for restaurants and the hospitality industry. Uh, we also have been able to direct some dollars back to our own district cities. For example, Bay Village is going to, um, has presented a Bayfront, uh, a Bay Village lakefront property that uh, will be used by many people and has been on the books for a long time on their end. And we're pleased to say that we're going to be able to uh, help him with that. And other projects and parks and just uh, a variety of different um, city and community efforts trying to push back and give those cities the um, the ability to enhance their quality of life for the residents that live there. So it is, it, it is an exciting time, a lot of work, and of course every single project is uh, all viewed by the public with three readings and a presentation. So everything is transparent, and it's been uh, quite, a, quite an evolving uh, process for us to go through. You know, t- talking uh, about uh, the readings and the transparency, uh, with regard to your experience on the county council, when the, the council meets, do you get uh, many people coming in from the general public to just sit and, and watch, or are they viewing on, uh, like, uh, Facebook or something? Yes. Well, you know, we always have a crowd, usually at the beginning, and it's typically on a topic that may be something of interest. Um, we've had quite a few in the last meeting. Many of them are concerned about the jail. Uh, many of them don't want to see a jail built. They'd like to see what we have uh, renovated. Um, some are not. Con- some are concerned about the location, uh, the transportation to the site. So it depends on you know what is happening. Perhaps at the time we have a public. Um, chance for people to come forward and and air their concerns, and we will listen for an hour or more if we have to. They each get three minutes to speak, and um, we've we've gone through a lot of that. So, yes, and outside of that, all of the meetings, whether it's committee or actual council meeting, are taped live stream, so you can either watch it while it's happening or afterwards it's taped on YouTube, and you're able to watch any of the committees um, that you may find some interest in to hear what it is that we are discussing. And there isn't anything there that uh, if you wanted to know about, you could see it firsthand. Yeah, very good. All of the transparency is really available. Uh, one yes. final word. We have about a minute or so. 
COVID. Are we past COVID now at the county level? Or I, I think the numbers are coming up and masks are again required. What, what's going on? Yeah, I'm glad you asked because COVID is, you know, we're trying to get it in our rearview mirror, but um, it has, uh, unfortunately, its ugly head is already has come up again. So the restrictions in all county buildings is that a mask is required. We are now considered in a red zone. We've met the 200 threshold. I think we're at 228 the last time it was uh, it was counted. And so that triggered the executive to ask everyone going in any county building, whether it's the Justice Center or the county building itself or anything related to uh, to wear a mask. So that is unfortunately back. As soon as we drop that, which we will, I believe we will, then the mask will not be required. So it's uh, it's just an ongoing um, event. I think most people on the outside are not wearing masks, whether they're indoors or outdoors. I think they all feel that if they do get it, they're going to recover from it. Uh, hospitalizations are very, very low. Um, deaths are not recorded. They're 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 not at least on our radar. So it is. Um, it is at least a strain that is not uh, as it was when we saw the Delta and the initial back in 2020, especially with no vaccine or booster. Mm-hmm. Um, we have found that that has made an impact. Well, well, we'll check with you next month on that, too, because like you said, COVID rearing its ugly head, and it certainly is ugly, and I, I think I speak yes. for all of us. We're tired of it. <laughs> Just, yes, we we're tired of it. Exactly. <laughs> right. Oh, my. Right. Well, Nan, Nan Baker, thank you so much for joining us tonight and giving us a county update. And uh, we'll talk to you next month. All right. It sounds good. Thank you for having me. And uh, we'll talk again in a month. Thanks. Thank Nick. you so much. Thank you. We're going to take a short break. Uh-huh. We'll be back after these words. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK, The Advocate. Don't go away. Nick Phillips with you with another segment of The Advocate. And in the next two segments, we're going to talk about something nice and good for a change. We're going to be talking about a group of people who are doing some good for the people in our community who need the help. And uh, the name of the group is called Rise in Love. And to tell us about it is Barb Sternberg. Barb, thank you for joining us tonight. Thank you, Nick. Thank you for having me. Tell us a bit about you, Barb Sternberg, and Rise in Love. Well, there's not a whole lot to tell about me. Um, I am, uh, live my life basically as a full-time volunteer these days. So um, mm-hmm. I started Rise in Love um, seven years ago, but really it began for me probably 15 years prior to that. Um, so while I was you know, working full-time and being a mom and being a wife and doing all those great things that we do in our lives, there was a there was a very big large pull on my heart to volunteer more and do more and give more back to my community and that that just kept growing and growing and growing over time so eventually i i reached a point where i just wanted to do more than what i was able to do through uh, volunteering with other organizations i wanted to really dig into the lives of the people that we were helping find out 
what was what was really the root cause of, of what was happening in their lives and why they needed so much support and help. So I started looking at ways that we could do that, um, ways that I could uh, really effectively change people's lives. So, so let, let me interrupt for a moment because you, you mm-hmm. talked about something very important that we, we would like to find out. How do we spread this? And you sort of glossed over saying not much to say about Barb Sternberg, but I think mm-hmm. there is from the standpoint that uh, you know, you're know you a giving person and you have this attitude that you want to give and you do things about it. You actually take action. How How is it that you came to be in that, that place? Um, because most people don't do what you do. So it's great that you're doing it, but how do we get more people to do what you do? Well, the simplest answer I can give for me was I, mm-hmm. I know that God called me to it. So it for me, it's a calling. And um, I just know that this is, uh, it, for me, it's how Jesus Christ wants me to live my life. So it was it was a true calling in every sense uh, for me to get out there and to start doing something more um, and then working with people to uh, help them develop and know their God-given gifts and talents and, and use those for the good of, of people suffering around us. So mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. that's the easiest and uh, most straightforward answer I can give about it. It was it was a calling then, and, and it still calls to me today. So, Well, thank you for doing what you're doing, because you know not only what you're doing, but other people need to do the same thing to get this world back together again. And, and there seems to be too much division in the world, too much anger and too much fighting. So... But there are people who need help. And what kind of people are you looking at helping? So our, the segment that we mostly focus on is, is the working poor. We call them the working poor, but it's the, or the gap people. Um, it's the best way to describe that group. Um, they are just above the federal poverty level. Um, they're surviving, but certainly not thriving. And so I've always looked at, you know, that group as the primary focus instead of, allowing them to continue to flounder and suffer, sink down further into poverty, drop below that poverty level, um, you know, pick up more government assistance or get on government assistance. It was about taking them from that level and moving them from a place of surviving to thriving. Everything is about uh, that we do focuses on that, going from surviving to thriving. So we want our people, our families, and those we work with to achieve bigger and greater things and to live out their dreams um, in, in just much bigger ways, uh, to know that there's a different life available to them and that these things are not lost. They can get education. We can help and support them through that process. We can get them and help them with job training. Uh, we can work with them to uh, help with so many different things that they need support with while they go through those processes. Um, I often tell people that it's, it's one thing to think about going back to school or starting a new job um, but it's very difficult to do that when you're faced with putting food on the table for your children or keeping a roof over their heads and you're not quite sure how this new job is going to shake out or are you going to be able to balance between mm-hmm. job training and education before you start pulling in those bigger paychecks. Um, so as an organization, when people enter into that program, we look to stay with them up to three years to ensure their success through it. And if we have to, we, we do provide the rent assistance and the utility assistance, the food. Uh, we help them with clothing and we help uh, with transportation. We do all the things that are necessary to keep a family moving forward throughout it instead of just saying, okay, you've got a job. Good luck. Let us know how mm-hmm, you're doing. Mm-hmm. 
we, we really do stick with them and stay with them um, for a very long time and follow up with them for as long as we can. And um, the people who get in the program and stay in the program, we have we do have 100% success rate. Um, it's not for everybody. Not everybody does it, but the ones that do really do uh, find great success in the end. Well, this is a non-government organization, so there's no government bureaucracy running this or no tax dollars running it. Uh, mm-hmm. And you provide things. I was looking at your newsletter that you have, and uh, one, of the, one of the lines in it, uh, I'll just read it briefly, it says, we have been working to collect products, food, home goods, furniture, supplies, and raise funds to meet the existing needs in our communities, which is interesting because you're also going to say you guys help uh, Ukraine refugees, which is very important. But with regard to the extent of what you're doing, you actually, besides collecting food, I would assume have sort of a food program, but collecting household furniture and goods, how do people get involved in your organization, and, and do, you, do you have them apply? Is there sort of like a qualification program you have to get people in, or can anybody be part of this? Well, if you're um, specifically referring to volunteers, anybody can, can get join on and, and jump on board and help. And help um, out, anybody, yeah. Yeah. Um, people who need help and assistance, they, they do have to go through an application process. Um, it's a standard application for everybody. It's a screening process. Depending on what their needs are, they complete that application. Then we take that. There's a, a group of us that review those applications. Um, then we contact them. We, we do a phone interview. Then we do an in-person interview. And then what we do from that point, after we get to know them a little bit, is we formulate a program or our programs to fit them. So our programs are very um, changeable. And we work within what we have to make our programs fit their needs. So even though all everyone's situations may seem similar, they still are very different and unique to that individual person. So we want to make sure that everything that we're doing is geared towards their success and their ability to be successful within the program. So um, we have, of course, shifting timelines and things that work better um, for them based on where they're at in their education process or their skill process or, you know, how many kids they have and, you know, how in debt they are. So whether or not some people come to us with a, with transportation, some people don't. Those are hindrances in, you know, how they get jobs and how we move forward, how quickly we move forward with them. So each program is customized to the individual and fits their individual needs so that we can ensure the best success for them. Who makes the referrals of people to Rise and Love? So other than like this radio show where people listening will now hear of it, uh, other than that, how do people find out about you and and how do you get your referrals? Um, Most of the time they're referred by churches and local organizations, um, sometimes from the city. If people are, uh, you know, calling, most of the time people in need will find their way to a church, uh, regardless of what they think, feel, or believe. If if they need help, they'll find their way to a church. And the churches in the area, um, all within the communities, will ultimately refer them to Rise and Love. Uh, we will be on their list of places to refer. Um, the cities themselves, if somebody calls City Hall, uh, we've had several referrals from Parma Heights City Hall, um, certainly from North Royalton and Parma. Um, so people will call the city asking for, do you know anybody who can help? And they refer them to us. Well, we're going to 
come back to Barb Sternberg. We're talking to Barb Sternberg from Rise in Love, uh, which is a charity that helps people in need. And it's a non-government uh, organization that has been providing uh, services and, and goods and just all kinds of helpful things to people in our communities here. And uh, Barb, what year did you guys start real quick? We started in 2015. That's not that long ago, so you're fairly new on, on the block with the program. But uh, it's, a, it's an interesting program that's helping a lot of people. So we're going to take a short break. We'll be back uh, with Barb and with uh, talking about Rise and Love to find out more about it and how you can help them continue to do the work they're doing. So we're going to take a short break. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK, The Advocate. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Welcome back, Cleveland, to our final segment of The Advocate for tonight. We're talking to Barb Sternberg from Rise and Love, uh, which is a charity that helps people in need. And, uh, Barb, thank you for being with us tonight. So important, the work you're doing. Uh, Now, what is your role with Rise and Love? Um, I am the president, and I am one of 13 founding board members. So I basically run the whole Mm -hmm. thing, um, and we're all volunteers here. So um, everyone who, who works with Rise and Love and in Rise and Love is a volunteer. Uh, so I do have, I have a, we have over 200 registered volunteers and our current board membership, uh, there's 11 of us serving on the board. So I have a lot of help and support around me. So when I say I do everything, I do everything through them and with them because uh, they're all, all everybody's working um, hard to make this thing happen on a regular basis. Are you a tax-exempt uh, organization that can accept deductible charitable donations? <clears throat> yes, we are. We are. We've been a 501c3 since September of 2015. Uh, the magic words everyone knows, 501c3, the IRS code. Uh, mm-hmm. the, um, the, the question with regard to people making the donations, uh, what kind of budget do you have per year, roughly? Our budgets vary every year because we are we're 100% in, 100% out. So, um, depending on what the need is, is where we set our budget. So we don't um, because we're volunteer and we don't have brick and mortar. We depend on organizations and uh, businesses within the community to help us get this work done. Um, so 100% of every donation that comes in goes right back out to the people who need it. Um, so if you donate $10 to us, that uh, that $10 is going to be used to buy food for somebody or to go towards a utility bill or whatever it is. Um, so because we don't well, have so those important. Expenses, yeah, that's, well, that's it, so important. Many huge. times – pardon? It, I think it's huge. It's something that oh, is, it is. Um, it's, it's beautiful that we're able to do that. When people check out uh, – nonprofit organizations and they're going to make donations and they're going to be sponsoring these organizations, they generally check to see what kind of administrative cost an organization will have, whether that's 5%, 10%, or 40%. The fact that what I'm hearing here is that uh, your your particular group, Rise and Love, is 100% out and there's no administrative percentage of donations going to uh, pay wages or, or any cost. Is that right? That's correct. That's amazing. I'm not aware of any other group your size doing that at that rate. There may be, but uh, a donation would be would be very 
very well spent. Uh, what uh, are you limited to a particular geographical area, or do you handle all of Ohio, or where are you? Um, we are we primarily focus in the suburbs of Cleveland, so we start in Parma. Um, that is our has been our, our starter focus was Parma, and then we've moved out from that point to the communities surrounding. So we handle all of those suburbs. Um, in and around Cleveland, those you know, kind of inner ring suburbs and outer ring suburbs of Cleveland. So the reality is we will help anybody from anywhere. If you find your way to us, we will do what we can to help you. But our focused efforts are um, starting in Parma and then branching out from those inner ring suburbs. I know she mentioned, uh, in, well, mentioned in the newsletter about helping Ukrainian refugees. Uh, how many refugees have you been seeing? Is that uh, something that's big here in the Cleveland, Northeast Ohio area? Are you it seeing is, many? And it's, oh, yes, and it's growing. There's hundreds of families that are here now. Uh, they're settling here. They're with host families now. Um, they are living and rebuilding their lives. They're hoping to rebuild their lives here in America. Um, and they are right here in Broadview and North Royalton and Strongsville, Parma, Parma Heights. So these are big areas and large pockets of uh, Ukrainian population that we're seeing the, the refugees uh, coming into through the Ukrainian churches. Um, one of the things that the Ukrainian refugees had to have in order to get here um, was a host family. Um, so they've come in. They're staying with families in the area. We're doing the best we can to support them in every way imaginable uh, because they're our neighbors now. They live here now. They want to rebuild their lives here now, and we need to do what we can to take care of them. So... Um, we're we're doing what we can to provide food, clothing, uh, shelter. We're working on getting long-term and permanent housing for them. Um, the host families, God bless them for everything that they have done. Um, but it is very difficult for them to continue to have uh, families living with them. Um, there is a great need for beds and bedding. Uh, we're trying to uh, raise money to be able to do that and provide those beds. Uh, we have to raise somewhere in the range of twenty to thirty thousand dollars to get new beds uh, for these families and their children. Uh, most of it is women and children that have come, uh, so we need twin beds, we need full-size beds, we need bedding. Um, it's hard for people to donate used bedding and used mattresses. It's not always the the best conditions for that. But we are looking to make a large purchase of new beds and bedding uh, for them, and hopefully we can get that done. Uh, but as you can imagine, the need is great. Uh, they these are people who indeed, indeed. Uh, how many? What's your budget, just briefly? Because there's a couple of other things I want to talk about before we're out of time. Uh, so your budget per year, you go through about how much money? Uh, well, last year we went through um, just over one hundred and twenty thousand dollars. And this year, we will most likely go through um, probably well over $200,000. The Ukrainian refugees became an expanded program in March of this year. Um, mm -hmm. So we were a little unprepared when setting initial budgets for what we were going to do um, in 2022. So with the expansion of that, adding in the number of refugees that we're trying to take on, it cost about $15,000 to resettle a refugee family at this point. Um, so we're looking at well over $200,000, um, maybe closer to the $200,000 range um, to accomplish what we want to accomplish this year. So, well, if people, best, want to yeah. if people want to volunteer or donate money, how do they get in touch with you or your group? Um, it's easy enough. They can call our office. Um, that's one of the easiest ways is 440 uh, 
440-457-7209. They can call the office Monday through Thursday. Um, typically leave a message. We get back to people within 24 to 48 hours um, and discuss. I, I like to talk to people who like to volunteer because I want to find out what they like to do and want to do and uh, how they feel they can best contribute versus us just shoving them into a position. Um, so that seems to be a good way to get good volunteers and keep them. Um, and if people want to donate, they can certainly do that by phone. We take donations over the phone. We also take them through our website at risemofcenter.org. Um, and those are the, the two best ways to find out. And then, of course, following us on Facebook um, at Rise and Love. So once they uh, get on Facebook and follow us on Facebook, all of our up-to-date information is there, pictures and videos of everything that we do. Every time we have events coming up, we post them on Facebook. Um, and keep things going out that way so they can always Facebook message us too. Um, that's another way that people do get in touch with us. Well, 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 very good. Do you have any fundraisers coming up or any events that people might be interested in? We do. We we have several, actually. And the biggest one that is our annual fundraiser, it's coming in September 24th. It will be held at the Keller Center. Uh, we do Raise to Love every year. Uh, it's been a, a, a popular event. We were on a delay um, because of COVID, but now it's back in full force. So we were able to uh, pull off Raise to Love 2021. Uh, so it was a beautiful return to our fundraisers. And uh, this year, Raise to Love 2022 will be held at the Keller Center in Berea. That's at 66 Adelbert Street in Berea. Um, and the doors open at 5 o'clock. Tickets are on sale for that event now. Uh, we are hoping to raise at least $150,000 off that event. So there are sponsorships available. There are tickets available. Tickets start at $50 a person. It does include a wonderful dinner and all of your desserts. There will be drinks and a great band. The Grand Avenue Band's joining us. Lots of raffle baskets. Um, and, again, you know, that, that event is paid for. So if you purchase a ticket for $50, that entire $50 of that ticket purchase is, is going to be used to support families in need in our community. That's so the amazing thing. Dollar for dollar goes to the program. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to mention your phone number again. It's 440-457-7209. And uh, I, I guess they can talk to you, Barb Sternberg, if you if they call, maybe. Yeah. We'll talk to them. Yeah, her. they will. They will. Uh, they'll probably Somebody talk will. to Karen first. You know, Karen will uh, answer the phone, and um, she will get back to them, but she will definitely get them in touch with me, and I will be the next person that they talk to. So, um, and I'll be happy to do it. I hope people are interested in volunteering and want to come out and help. Well, I just heard of Rise in Love for the first time, and thank you for coming on The Advocate. And glad we can uh, get the word out because you're doing great work and helping out apparently hundreds of people. So keep up the good work. Thank you, Nick. We appreciate it. You you take care. And uh, I'd like to thank you for listening tonight. So we'll be back next week, same time, same station. So between now and then, have a great, healthy, and safe week. Good night. And I sat and watched the Zanzibar sunset Sat and drank my fresh mint tea With nothing to do until morning And only my mind for company Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.